Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George. Deacon Bear in studio. (laughs) It's good to be with you today. Thanks for listening in on the radio or on the podcast, wherever you are. Got a great show planned for you today. Right, Adam? Yes. And I got to mention something about the Deacon Bear thing. Okay. Um, So my my, uh, wife, when she's driving around with the kids sometimes, will will turn on the Paul George show. Right. And uh, the kids listen. Yeah. And so every once in a while they mention something from the show that like is random. You just forget people actually hear this stuff, you know. But and we forget what we talk about. Oh yeah, you know because there's so many shows. Shocking to everyone. Well, they all blend together. It's like I don't, I don't remember. So uh, anyway, somebody said something about me being Deacon Bear the other day in the van. Uh, Well, just at home, and I said something about like um, me being a grizzly bear or whatever, and she said, "No, Dad, you're a brown bear." Mm. Remember or black bear? Black bear. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was setting me straight. She was old daughter. correcting you. Yeah, you're a black bear. You're a black dad. bear, which so. is still terrifying, but not as much as a grizzly bear. Right. Yeah. Right. You're not that violent. Right. Like if you want to make a cartoon character out of a bear that could be your friend, maybe wear a hat, read the Wall Street Journal. It's probably a black bear, not a grizzly bear. Yeah. 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 Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks everyone for being a part of the show. <laughs> thanks Adam for the update there. <laughs> clarifying on what bear he is, you know. Uh, we all came up with this name, Deacon Bear. It just happened. It unfolded. I like it. But it is what it is. I like it because it's, it's you know, no one, it hadn't caught on in my, uh, let's say, work life yet. Like, my coworkers don't call me Deacon Bear just Just because they don't listen. Right. Um, but it's fun to have, like, a universe where I'm, like, a bear. Yeah. Well, you're only the bear on the show, and if people don't listen, they don't know. So, And then if people listen and don't know you, they wouldn't recognize who you are anyway. That's right. So it's just all convoluted, but it's great because we like it that way. Yes. That's kind of what we're about. That is what we're about. You convolution. Con- total convolution. It's the convolution revolution. Speaking of convolution, man, uh, we celebrate some pretty powerful saints this week. You know, we're in the season of Easter. I don't know if you know that. Yes. Uh, leading up to Pentecost. Love it. Just want to remind you as a deacon about that so you know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'll update my calendar. <laughs> yes, seriously. Uh, and, I mean, we got St. Mark, St. Peter Chanel, uh, St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, not to skip over some less important ones, not to do that to them. But those are, you know, three pretty, you know, big ones this week that yeah. we celebrate. And it's cool because they all fall in the season of Easter, which is the season of mission, um, the church being about mission, them having a mission, spreading the word of God. Anyway, certainly a lot we can learn from them and get back to uh, as disciples, people in the church and whatnot. But uh, so lots there, lots of cool things happening and super glad to be here for the show. So do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? So this is a neat story. Uh, last Tuesday. Okay. In Washington D.C. Oh, so the nation's capital. Yeah, yeah. Here in the in the states, because a lot of states. times you have your scene or all. Oh yeah, over. we go all over the world. Yeah, but uh, no, this is in in the U.S. Uh, last Tuesday, a toddler, um, about the age of two, somehow managed to squeeze through the fence that's in front of the White House mm-hmm. and make it pretty far on the property. Wow. 
before being uh, seized by U.S. Secret Service. Apprehended. Apprehended. Yeah, that's a better word. Officers. Um, they retrieved him. Of course, it was not a traumatic retrieval. It's right. not like they had him handcuffed. Or I mean, anything. were the parents freaking out? Or did they just lose the baby? Or are they like, the baby got through the fence and we can't hop over and get it? What? Yeah, so apparently they were... If you've been there, you kind of get it. It's on a street. Like, you're walking down a street visiting D.C., and then all of a sudden there's the White House. It's not like it's it's hard to get to. Mm-hmm. It's right there. And you just kind of stand there and look, and there's this fence to keep you out. Sure. And so as the parents are standing and looking, looking around, this toddler, which I can relate to, the toddler decides, hey, now's a great time to escape. I don't know what it is about two-year-old boys specifically, but they're always looking to escape as soon as possible. Yeah, of course. And so as the parents are looking on at, you know, oh, wow, that toddler just takes off. And before they realize it, he's in the lawn. That's he's awesome. on the lawn. That is great. And then the parents watch as the Secret Service goes <laughs> and grabs him and then reunites him safely and happily with uh, his parents. But um, he now has a title of the youngest intruder at the uh, White House. That's pretty That's amazing. That's what they're calling him. Yeah, I think it's uh, kind of built into the DNA of us to be adventurers. Um, years ago, I don't, I don't even know what year. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe around 2000. Okay, maybe a few years after that. I can't, I can't remember. I was speaking at um, Mount St. Mary's Seminary. Yeah, beautiful up there. It's beautiful up there. So yeah. I was giving a talk up there. And little side fact here is that not far from Mount St. Mary's is Camp David. Mm-hmm. Camp David is like, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and the president will go there if like there's an emergency, right? Uh, and nobody knows how to get there. Okay. So <clears throat> some seminarians were hiking through Mount St. Mary's and they crossed over a fence and they were going, you know, they were kind of like extending their adventure beyond where they should go. And they're walking through like the hills and the mountains and the forest and all of a sudden just get sucked into the ground, into this tunnel. For real? Yeah. Just. And, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, like, just, like, men came from underground and just sucked them in. Like, just grabbed them and pulled them down and then went into this tunnel. And they were underground. They didn't know where they were freaking out and were being interrogated by, like, whatever, Secret Service or whoever. Like, what are you doing here? And they're like, what do you mean? We were just walking. We're in the seminary. We're just seminarians. And they're like, yeah, right, sure you are. I mean, because they have to, like, wow. Yeah, how fun would that be? That is intense. That is intense. I'm kind of uh, kind of jealous, to be honest with you, that I was trying to think: do we have a do we have a spiritual equivalent? So this is like politics, safety, uh, civil society has this kind of situation where like we have guys all the time at this property, vigilant at all times. Yeah, which is it makes sense. And we're we're assuming whoever is on this property is guilty, and they're done. Right? Do we have the equivalent in the church? You know, like where we have these special forces that are always on watch to make sure. Maybe we do. I don't don't know. know. I think, but the equivalent would be more on the seminarian side is this sense of adventure Uh, and mission, and we see this honestly, like with the apostles, the early apostles of. We're going out in danger. We're crossing boundaries and fences, social boundaries, um, you know, religious boundaries, um, you know, demographic boundaries. Like we're going in different cities and countries to preach the gospel, and mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna get 
imprisoned. We see the apostles getting in jail. We see them um, being interrogated. Like this is the life of the church early on. And, and, and in a lot of ways, like I, I am, I am uh, trying to like wrestle with the reality of what, what, the, the mission of the early church was like and what it is now. Mm-hmm. And th- there seems to be uh, a disconnect or a chasm or a great divide, you know, in that. And, and I continue to wrestle. I don't know all the answers to it, but I, I know this, that uh, either the Acts of the Apostles is an inspired word of God and real, and God did miracles and, and, and preaching the gospel and spreading the word, or he didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, the, or it's just a, a fictional book. And if we believe that it's real and that that was the apostles and the mission of the church, then somehow we have got to get back to that. We bring up uh, St. Catherine of Siena, whose uh, feast day is soon. You know, I think she's, she captures it, captures it perfectly because she lived in a time where you could argue may, may be unmatched with like church problems. Mm-hmm. So this is when the papacy moved to France. This is when, uh, and not in a in a pleasant way, in a very corrupt way. Like there's right. just all kind of problems way beyond what we have today in the church, really. Mm-hmm. But and she was she was nobody in the church, nobody. Like she was a third order Dominican, so right. a, a lay consecrated woman who lived at her parents' house, preach, and and was a nobody. But because of her holiness and her love for Jesus and her willingness to lovingly, boldly challenge others, she influenced the whole world and the church in her short life. She died when she was 33. Wow. Like, I'm way past 33 now. Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? But this this woman, uh, Catherine of Siena, I think does what she... So she bridged the gap, the chasm you're talking about, mm-hmm. in her own life and didn't wait around for the church to figure it out. Yeah. Now, uh, she, that, she decided to do it. And that's great. I, I, that's why we look at these saints. But, I mean, you know, the, the flip side of that is we look at these saints and say, oh, that, we can't do that. We can't be them. And, and I would disagree with that. Like, mm-hmm. I, even for myself, like I'm speaking to myself because I, I, I got to do more. I need to be more mission. I need to be more radical. Like, like this is this is a conversation I'm having as I'm looking in the mirror. It, the reality is, is like we as disciples are called to bridge that that gap and the chasm between the mission of the early church and where we are now. Well, I think your image of those seminarians uh, and even the toddler going past the fence is, um, and you said adventure. I think that's the I think that's part of the key, is that our Lord, if we're gonna be serious about following our Lord and pursuing where he's leading, we don't have all the answers, but there's one step ahead of us that's going to seem risky or adventurous that we just have to take. But then once you get on an adventure, you can't turn back. No, and this is the thing, is like people who are most dangerous, and I use that word in a, in a good way, like dangerous in their life are people who have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. right? They, We're going on this adventure, this mission. We're crossing boundaries. We're we're the toddler who's not thinking about it. Like, and I'm not talking about not being prudent, right? Mm-hmm. Or virtuous. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about like not about risking, you know, mm-hmm. and about being dangerous for the Lord. I mean, St. Peter Chanel uh, felt the call to be a missionary and then get sent to like an island of Fiji around Fiji. And his superior said, I'll be back in six months and didn't come back for five years. 
That's a lot longer than six months. That is a few years longer, months, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So he had to learn the language, didn't know, figured it out, preached the gospel. Two years after he died, the whole island was Christian. Wow. Think about that. And here we are arguing about song selections and rubrics and, like, things in the church and, like, you know, all the while our our neighbor is, like, suffering, Mm -hmm. needing an answer. Longing for Christ, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Like, where's yeah. where's the disconnect? Uh, you know, we have a you know a world that is in need of Christ that many do not even know Christ around the world, and, and yet we're you know we're fighting on these small little molehills about this and that, and you know, yada yada. And and you look at the early church. I mean, Peter and Paul and John were arrested in prison and released, and you know, on the run preaching and not caring. They had, they finally got to a place where they were the dangerous enough, uh, risky enough for the gospel because they weren't afraid to lose anything because they said everything they have is in Christ. They gained Christ and therefore like everything. Well, and part of that isn't, it is important that you get on a sense of adventure because <clears throat> if you're on a journey where you're far enough into it to where you can't go back, right? that's when the Christian really... This is what our uh, St. Peter said to our Lord in John chapter 6. Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus said, are you going to leave too? He said, well, where else are we going to go? We've, we're on this journey with you now. Like, there's no turning back. But unfortunately, Christianity lived too close to home, too close to base, too close to how the world lives, to be still safe yet be Christian. You know, like, I'm basically living like the world lives, but I can call myself a Christian. That's very safe and timid and it's tame. Safe. You're not on an adventure. You're not going to risk anything for Jesus. And I say you looking in the mirror. Like, there has to be this adventurous reality where you've literally left the world behind enough to where there's no going back. You've burnt the bridges. You've gone too far into the woods. You've crossed the boundary at the White House. Like, you are Mm. on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the Lord leads it. Like, Peter Chanel, he didn't know what the Lord had in store for him to agree to it. He just... He started taking those steps at the Lord. He went on the adventure, right. and it was far enough along to where he could not turn back, and that's why the Lord could use him. But Paul, you're using missionary math. Missionary math is totally different than worldly math, or worldly church math, let's say. Saint, uh, Pope Francis used that term, <clears throat> um, and it's always stuck with me, but this the idea of a worldly church. So worldly church math is, yeah, if you, if you establish chanceries and parishes and and uh, schools and and universities and all these things the church will be at its best and like we'll be best equipped to bring Christ to the neighbor you were just talking about missionary math is you just get one Christian who's free enough who on that adventure enough can convert a whole island a whole city a whole world you just need one hmm. who's actually doing it who's hmm. actually risking everything that's missionary math hmm. and uh, it's a totally different calculus than the than worldly church math, because I'm willing to lose everything because in Christ I gain everything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is the missionary spirit. This is where we should be, where we need to be, where I need to be, um, and yet yeah, where these saints are, you know. And and when we read these readings in Easter and we see the Acts of the Apostle unfolding, I mean, this is I mean, like, are we just reading this as a historical novel? No, like this should be the reality that we're trying to live every day in our own life and in the church and being on mission. 
I, I mean, we, we got to wrestle with it, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, we got to look in the mirror. Like, we got to, you know, what are we willing to risk? You know, what what happened to the people in Scripture who looked back? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, it didn't work out for them. It didn't work out for them. And if you don't know that, read about it. In Scripture, they, they got they died when they looked back. And and here's here's the analogy is that, look, when, when you say yes to Christ, just move forward. Right, like mm-hmm. that's it. Like just move forward in Christ. Like looking back, looking back sort of symbolizes like I'm looking for a back door. You know, it's kind of like when people get married. It's kind of like they have a crack in a back door alley to get out of it if something goes bad. Instead of saying you're you're already into this, so work it out. Like move yeah. forward together. Like don't think about how to get out of this. Think about how to move forward in this, in your relationship, in your marriage. The same as with Christ is like, yes, it's hard. It's difficult. Like all those things. But if we're constantly looking at the easy way out or how to get out of it, we'll never live fully, freely in Christ. Like we're always looking at how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the challenges to that is we've equated following Christ with living a certain moral code. Like we're just good, good Christian people. And we've lost the sense that following Christ also means we're on mission. Hmm. In fact, that is the focus. That's that's what Christ's life was for three years in his public ministry, was he lived a life on mission. He didn't live a life being as moral as he could. Like, you see what I'm saying? He didn't teach morality. He didn't teach the Beatitudes so that we could all sit around wondering how we could be more moral. Right. He taught these things so that we could be the light to the world and bring the message of Christ, life in Christ, to people who sit in darkness. Yeah. Right? And that's what he did. And uh, the thing is, looking back for too many of us, we see as looking back to my former way of life when I was less moral, when I was less Christian, and we fight the temptations to not fall into those past sins. Well, those temptations will always be there as long as we're not on mission. Mm-hmm. When you're on mission and all you have is Jesus, yeah. you're not tempted as much. Mm. <laughs> you, not, you have different temptations. Right. But you're not tempted to just give it all up. But the the reality is, since we're not out on the adventure, we're not out of the ri- like the world's too close. That's why we're always so tempted to go back. Yep. So hmm. we got we got to just get back on mission. Get get focused on that. But you said it, Paul. Look, let's look in the mirror in every way of our life, in every way we have influence, our family, our work, our church, our parish to renew the mission of bringing Christ to the world. That's right. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less? Seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Hey, yo. Welcome back to the show. Paul George. Deacon Adam Conk, the bear, uh, in studio. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening on the podcast, wherever you are, or on the radio, KLFT Radio, here in Lafayette, Louisiana. I like Lafayette. It's a great place to be. Yep. 
I was talking to a friend of mine, Katie Prejean McGrady. Yeah. She's a Catholic speaker, has a radio show, podcast um, out there. I was on her radio show on Sirius Catholic Radio yesterday mm-hmm. um, for an interview, talking about the book or whatever. But she was talking about how she was speaking here in Lafayette or at a parish. I'm not going to say the parish. I don't even remember. But she got food poisoning, and it was mm. bad. Anyway, all that being said, I was like, well, you know, she was talking about what, what they fed her, and it was pizza and salad. And then I was like, Katie, like, why would you come all the way to Lafayette, Louisiana for pizza and salad? She's like, exactly. Like, that's what they served me. But it was so weird because, like, that's the last thing we're known for is pizza and salad. How did that happen? And she got food for it? Like, I think it was something in the salad, maybe the lettuce or oh, I, I don't know. I didn't get into specifics from there on out. Or well, on behalf of the entire state, I... And I'm Katie sorry. is Katie's from Lake Charles. She's a little Cajun girl, right? But you know Lafayette. You know we're we're Cajun foodies down here. I mean we got some good food. You know not that there's not good pizza here certainly, but like there's that's not what we're not right. known for, right? Unless it was like a Cajun pizza, which we Cajunize everything. We Cajunize everything. There's a pizza in town with fried shrimp on top. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, you might <laughs> as well just like eat it and die. Like it's that good. I bet. But that's good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Italians aren't uh, thrilled that we did that, but at some point, I just don't care. It's like so good. It's so good that we don't even care that it's pizza. Mm-hmm. We don't even think about it being pizza. It's no longer actually really pizza. It's shaped like a pizza. It's almost like it becomes a po' boy at that point in pizza shape. Right. Yeah. There's I mean, so much stuff on it. Yeah, because we Cajunize everything and that's the thing about cajuns is that we will cajunize any and everything yes we'll just because we love it because we love it we love being cajun it's who we are yeah 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 so if you've never come down here you listen to the show like look us up when you come down we'll give you some suggestions on great restaurants yeah great places even tell you where we'll feed you where to get that pizza with shrimp on top i'll volunteer paul's house to host anyone who wants to come open invitation yeah he'll feed you (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it, unlike the White House, we don't have a fence around our house. That's true. I mean, you could, you could just walk up to my door and knock. That's right. You'd be like, hey, I listened to your show. You have any food? <laughs> I'd be like, okay, sure. I, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, oh, boy. This week we celebrate uh, also St. Mark. We were talking about the saints in the first segment. Yeah. I mean, St. Mark was an early Christian. Shout out to my dad named Mark, born on his feast day, so it's his birthday. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, he wasn't a disciple. Okay, but he was a, an early apostle, right? Wasn't an apostle, early disciple. Yeah, 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 yeah that's what I meant. Yeah, he wasn't one of the 12, but he right. was around. And he wrote the, one of the Gospels. He did, Mark. which is... Uh, like, not every neat. Gospel that's written with the name on it is the person who wrote it, right? Correct, you yeah. See what I'm saying? In fact, like, only um, <clears throat> two of the Gospel writers, if you've never thought about this, only two of the Gospel writers were actually apostles. The other two were disciples that came to the Lord... Uh, but they wrote on behalf of Saints Peter and St. Paul. So like St. Luke, um, he was a companion of St. Paul, but he did his own research. But mm-hmm. like a lot of what he wrote was motivated by, let's say, the St. Paul way of looking at things. Right. And then uh, St. Mark accompanied St. Peter and wrote the gospel based on what St. Peter shared with Mark. Right. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like the gospel of Peter in St. Mark. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was, he was around... The early days. Early days. Yeah, he was a young guy. Young guy, uh, and uh, he was on mission 
He, he yeah. went home from mission, then went back on mission. Um, you say that, you know, they call it uh, his gospel kind of like a, um, let's say, a mission mission gospel. Jesus is always on a mission. He's so, so these four uh, symbols for the gospels, the lion, the eagle, the man, and the ox. Mm-hmm. So St. Mark is that lion. Right. And uh, attributed that way because Jesus is like a lion in the gospel. Like he's just always doing something. He's going, he's going, he's going. He's he's uh, spreading the kingdom with that, that ferociousness. So yeah, now that you mentioned that, I never made that connection, but like Mark, who spent much time on mission, wrote a gospel that's pretty mission-oriented. Right. That's neat. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we don't know a lot personally about him. I mean, uh, you know, other than that he wrote, I mean, he didn't write about himself. He was not writing a biography. He was writing about Jesus, the gospels, right. you know. So, but he was he was a missionary. He's an early missionary in the church. Yeah. And his, his uh, first name was John. So John Mark. It's kind of like someone else I know that goes by their middle name hmm. over their first name. Paul George. Yeah. <clears throat> Not yeah. going to name names. Right. I do have a lot of names. <laughs> yeah. I do have a lot of names. Yeah, John Mark. And uh, well, and another thing to say about Mark is that he, being a young man, um, he actually traveled with St. Paul and St. Peter. So St. Paul... He went out with him on a missionary journey, but he got homesick being a young man, and it was difficult because he was doing very manly, bold things. Yeah. So he came back. He left St. Paul, and St. Paul was not appreciative of this, and later talks about how everyone abandoned him and included Mark in that. Yeah. Well, you know, St. Paul had a reputation of saying exactly what he wanted. Yeah. He spoke his mind. He didn't hold back. Yeah. And that was his gift, Uh, and maybe his thorn. Like, maybe he regretted some of the things he said. I don't know. But, I mean, a lot of things he said were pretty powerful and inspired. You know, who knows? what? Maybe Mark, like, you know, like, whatever. Made him really mad. Well, imagine the formation Mark must have got from Paul in the time he did have with him. Yeah. I mean, to be more like Paul, I'm sure. Yeah. Which came in handy later when he was traveling with St. Peter. Yeah, I mean, if Paul would have been married, probably would have gone better. He would have said, his wife would have said, just let it go, man. Just, yeah, it's true. Just let it go. I never thought about that. You're right. You know, like your wife just has a way of like helping you through things and vice versa, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was talking in the first segment, you know, about being on mission. Like we were, we were having this conversation and a marriage is a mission. You know, you're, you're on mission together in your marriage. And I remember when Gretchen and I were going through marriage prep with Bishop Jacobs, who we were meeting with, they didn't really have formal mission, uh, you know, marriage prep back then, you know. It was like a day retreat, and if you wanted to meet with your priest, you just asked, I guess. And and we met with him over and over, and it was great. But but as we got started the first meeting, I remember, I mean, this was, you know, 27 years ago. He said, uh, look, before we get started, I just want you guys to know, uh, before we meet again, that uh, divorce is not an option, and there's no, there's no back door out. So if you want to move forward, we'll meet again. And I'm, what? I mean, he just, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. and, uh, and I remember when we got married is, you know, there were some hard times, like it's not easy. You're married to another human. Right. Mm. And, uh, and thinking where, where's, where's the way out of this? And and then we'd look at each other and be like, there's no way out. We got to figure this out. Like we got to move forward together and figure this out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we moved away to Arizona and we were away from family and friends and people we know we were on mission. We had to figure it out together. We had to figure out how to live together, how to, how to do life together, how to live the sacrament together, how to work out things together and, and how to be on mission together. Right. And not look back and say, where's, where's the door out 
for us as Christians, as hard as it sounds, there's a lot of freedom in moving forward. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of freedom in looking ahead and not looking back. Figuring out a way out. Oh, this is hard. I got to get out. Or this is tougher than I thought. Or Jesus didn't come through for me, so I thought. Or I don't have, you know, it's just looking forward. Because in scriptures, we talked about looking back doesn't go well. Right? Yeah. Well, and Mark learned that lesson, I think. I mean, he did look back to home. He did, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the way St. Paul put it, he abandoned him. Yeah. But it didn't But he learned him. from it. Yeah, he learned from it. Exactly. And we all have learned from, like, you know, our mistakes and our regret. But, like, Called to look forward, just like the Israelites, like they looked back and saw the Egyptians coming for him and freaked mm-hmm. out. Said God was like, "Trust in me." Look forward and parted the Red Sea, and they walked through. Mm-hmm. You know, the only way to the Promised Land is forward, not backwards. Yeah, so you can always start again. And I think Saint Mark learned that lesson so well because in his Gospel, one of the words unique to the Gospel of Mark that just occurs over and over and over and over is the word immediately. Immediately. So, and then Jesus immediately did this. Mm. And then they immediately rose. They immediately, so the sense of like not wasting any time, moving forward, like urgency, urgency, Mm -hmm. that became Mark's calling card. And so um, he must have learned that lesson, you know? Yeah. He must have learned how to move forward, keep going. Like the important thing is just immediately, immediately. Right. Um, Because there is no time to waste when it comes to the gospel and and grace. I read something recently um, by, Monsignor Shea, this this book uh, from Christian and Apostolic Mission, but he talks about um, this this paradox with Christians that we don't take the world seriously at all, but then we take it very seriously. And we don't take everything about life so seriously, but then we take everything about life so seriously. This is this strange thing that, like, what keeps us stuck is that we don't learn that paradox. Because in the end... the does everything about my day today really matter in my relationship with Jesus? Like, is it so life and death that like I need to be paralyzed and anxious and worried about it? No, I just need to trust the Lord. But also in the end, is the way I'm going to talk to my spouse today matter for my eternity? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is the way I'm going to pray today matter for? Yes. So it really does all matter, but not because like, am I going to do it perfectly? Does that matter? No. But is Jesus with me today? That matters. And and moving forward with the Lord immediately, not waiting, not waiting until tomorrow or next week or next month or a year from now to be on mission, but today, right? immediately. I love that. I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah. You know, I'm kind of wrestling with, with the, the terms like, you know, the person who's most dangerous has nothing to lose. And I think what holds me back, if I'm going to be honest, is I think about all the things that I could lose. Mm-hmm. If I was more bold in Christ, maybe I lose my reputation or um, I lose a gig mm-hmm. or speaking engagement, mm-hmm. a book deal. Oh, he's saying too much or he's being a little bit too missional. Maybe I'm too comfortable. I, like if I were to be on it, maybe I'm just too comfortable in my faith. And because I'm thinking about all the things that I could lose, which really ultimately are just probably more like about reputation and you know, material things. Mm-hmm. What's funny about that is um, the things we fear to lose, we don't actually have. So think about like, you've worked with couples constantly. So yeah. think about the jealous spouse. Mm. 
So this fear of losing your spouse to someone else, this fear of losing to another person or to a, um, a mm. hobby or whatever, what the heart of that fear is a sense of not having them at all. But think about the, the conversely, the, the spouse who, the spouses who are very confident in each other, they're not jealous at all, they don't fear, they have a true sense of belonging to each other mm. that isn't based on keeping tabs on each other. But it, so in other words, what we fear to lose at the heart of it is really, we understand we don't even have it to begin with. And um, <clears throat> the uh, the fear of rejection because we follow Christ, the fear of losing, you know, people's opinions of us or whatever. Well, at the heart of that, you know, we really don't have. We we worry about not having it to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Like we we you don't have it anyway. <laughs> That's the funny thing about fearing to lose stuff for Jesus. We don't own anything anyway. Right. We don't belong to this world. Human praise is so fickle. Some people are going to like me. Some people are not going to like me. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and we can't take it with us. Like like all of the things that I probably worry about um, won't matter in the end. Mm-hmm. Why am I holding on to things that are keeping me from living the life that Christ wants me to live? Like none of those things really matter or I can mm-hmm. take with me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. if... If we lose everything and gain everything in Christ, like what are what are we holding on to? And I, and I, I am talking to myself. Yeah. Right. Well, and look what we do to to our Lord. We don't fear losing Him hmm. because we know He loves us. We know He's always going to be with us. But you know, the fear of the Lord and that that gift of the Spirit, that fear of the Lord, is we start to realize that. I can't take advantage of God's love just because I know he's going to love me. Right. I have to actually live a life that's pleasing to him. I have to actually, not to earn his love, not to, but just because I know that God loves me and will always be with me does not mean I have the freedom to take advantage of him. Right. And to live however I want just because I know he loves me. Conversely, I need to live in such a way that honors that love. It's it's like any parent's love for their kid. The kid can have a disposition, yeah, I know mom and dad loves me so I could do whatever I want and they'll still love me. Well, that's a good thing. That doesn't mean you literally do whatever you want. Right. You need to return their love through a life that's lived in a way that's pleasing to your parents. And um, so instead of fearing the world's acceptance or, or lo- fearing the world's rejection, we should fear God's rejection. Instead of fearing... a displeasing the world or displeasing the people in our life even that are creatures we should fear displeasing the creator yeah displeasing him it's what all the spiritual masters say and it's 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 a shame that we do this to our lord and i say we because i do it all the time that we t- we presume his love and mercy so much that we we're afraid to lose the world's reputation the world's approval like what are we doing right no i mean you know i'm been thinking a lot about St. Peter, you know, and he really went through sort of layers of conversion, I guess you could say. Like an onion. Um, exactly. Um, and for those people who say, you know, conversion is a one-time thing, like you're wrong, like you read the mm-hmm. life of Peter. Yeah, we have these, uh, maybe a moment of like turn, turn around, repent and and be baptized and, and we turn from our old ways and we begin. But like, they're, they're still looking back. There's still a process of conversion. So you have... Peter, who 
was just a fisherman. Um, Jesus called and, you know, he was like, what? You know, and so like he just had that initial, you know, conversion. Then you have the Peter who's like, oh, I, I, I'm going to live my faith and, and walks out on the sea and sinks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, Jesus saves him. Then you got the Peter who uh, speaks and talks like Jesus. And yet in the middle of that denies Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Like in his denial, a woman says, you sound like him, mm-hmm. right? So he knew all the language, the rubrics. He hung out with him. He was from the same areas, all those things. Like, so you see this process and then he denies him. Uh, it, does Christ give up on him? No. Then you have Peter on the road to Emmaus having breakfast with Jesus, repenting and Jesus giving him his mission. And, and Peter finally like really entering into his full conversion of not looking back. I'm all in. I'm not looking back anymore. I don't That's care right. what I lose in this. And then you have the Peter at Pentecost and in the book of Acts who is preaching out in the streets, nothing to lose because everything is gained in Christ. He's getting arrested, preaching, thousands are converting. He's walking by people. They're being healed. Explain to me. What happened? Well, he grew in Christ. We can mm-hmm. see the conversions of Peter. And those are our conversions too, certainly. But we, God wants us to be at that place where we're finally free and launched in the mission with Christ. And we have nothing to lose. Well, when Peter and Acts said it plainly, we must obey God rather than men. Hmm. It took that journey to get him to that place of freedom. That's true. We must obey God rather than men. Yeah. I would rather displease all of you who are threatening to kill me, and eventually you will, than displease him for a second. Hmm. That's the freedom that because every Christian needs. Why? Peter knew what it was like to disappoint Jesus. Yeah. He saw the face of Jesus when he denied him. And we all have. Like we all know that. Like like one of the if you're really married and love your spouse, one of the pains that you felt is the pain of disappointing your spouse mm-hmm. or hurting them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to live in that. There's reconciliation. There's, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to get better. And then you feel the freedom of of doing it differently, right? Mm-hmm. And not making that mistake again. Not wanting to see the pain on that person's face, right? And I often tell couples, uh, maybe one struggling with like an addiction or like a hidden secret, Right? The greatest pain you'll go through is the only pain for healing is to let your spouse know about this because you're going to have to see their face of pain and hurt. And that's why people avoid it. They don't want to see that. That's right. They want to avoid the pain and the hurt that they cause someone else and themselves. But the way through healing is to actually see that, to know that, because you don't want to experience that again. You actually want to live free of that instead of in the shame and in the shadows of that. One of Peter's conversions is the denial of Christ. Yep. He he had he saw the face of disappointing someone he loved, right? Mm-hmm. And he never wanted to do that again. And so you have Peter, like what you were saying is saying, I don't care if I disappoint man. I'm not disappointing God again. Mm-hmm. You you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like like uh and, and and that's often the way I feel in my marriage is like, um I I, I don't want to do that again. You know, I don't wanna you know, I wanna I wanna I want to love my wife and my spouse. So like, and so in the Lord is like, yeah, like, you know, not disappoint like God's like at his finger disappointing us, but like if we're in relationship with him and we deny him, turn away from him, it does hurt the heart of the Lord. 
Yeah, and and that adventure of pursuing Christ in that way, <clears throat> it starts with a step of, I don't, I don't know why we do this as humans. It's crazy. Like, we spend our whole life trying to prove to ourselves and others that we're okay, and there's nothing wrong with us, <laughs> and we have no faults, we have no imperfections. And it's so deep-seated in any of us that like, just the thought of admitting we did something wrong to someone mm. seems like the worst thing ever. Yep. And it's an adventure to break out of that fence, break out of that boundary, and then just start admitting. This is why we go to confession, everybody, by the way. But just start admitting, you know, I am not perfect. I am fallen. I have a... But God is calling me into a perfect life with him for eternity, that's the perfection I'm striving for. Because you're either striving to prove the perfection you already have, which you don't, or you're striving to attain that perfection, which is only possible in heaven. And that's an adventure, pursuing. You're talking about conversion again and again and again. You're pursuing something you only attain at the end. You're running the race. You're... you're seeking something rather than trying to prove that you already have it. And that keeps you from the adventure of following the Lord into those moments, following the Lord in, in those conversions where you're willing to admit that you hurt someone, but that uh, you're trusting in Jesus to heal that person in your relationship, and you're ready to admit, I did it. Yeah, that's conversion, and that's repentance, and that's the walk. Like That's the Christian journey. It's the adventure. It's St. Mark. Like, I disappointed Mm -hmm. my friend Paul. Yeah. And I left him abandoned in mission and went home. Yeah. You know? And then what? He came face to face with that repentant, you know, whatever the case, changed his ways and, like, went back in mission, wrote the gospel, followed Peter, you know, like, became a bishop, some say, right? Like Yeah, bishop, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, we're not defined by our failure. We're converted by it. Mm -hmm. Hello? There's a difference. We're not defined by our failure. We're converted by it. We're made better and purified. This is the beauty of the church, our walk with Christ, repentance, confession, you know, all those things. That, mm-hmm. But yet, it's, it's reconciliation with moving forward, not going backwards. Right. Okay. Uh, why don't we take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of healthcare. Join the nation's leading healthcare sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable healthcare. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare. 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George. Deacon Bear Adam Conk in studio. Thanks for being a part of the show today on the podcast, on the radio. Great to be with you. It is great to be with you. Yeah. How are you feeling today? I didn't even ask you. How selfish of me. That's okay. Typically, we don't ask how we 
how we're feeling. It's okay to, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, are you afraid of feelings? No, not afraid of feelings. In fact, I found a great freedom in my life when I learned, uh, thankfully, at a pretty young age, I took a class in high school called Interpersonal Communication that they were offering. Yeah, that was like a free class, a free A. Well, in a sense, yes, but in another sense, it took a lot of... It was of, an elective. It was a big inward journey, yeah. let's say, but it wasn't like an academic pressure. Right, exactly. But uh, anyway, learning how to name emotions mm-hmm. was revolutionary to me. Like, yeah. Like there's different emotions. Wow. Yes, And there you can are. name them. Yes. And then when I started studying theology, I learned that Thomas Aquinas was into emotions too. Really? Which he called passions, but like naming them. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of naming feelings, I've... I've gravitated towards it's very important you know a lot of times i mean i think the myth for men is that we don't have feelings or we don't feel you Mm -hmm. know don't acknowledge feelings and then in marriage i think you know um either men are afraid to share their feelings or women are don't know how to hold safe a man's feelings Right? Mm Because he's like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, he just told me how he felt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyway, I think it's great and okay to acknowledge feelings. Yeah. Because it lets us know where we are and what our needs are, you know? And and that's beautiful. Because we're emotional beings. Like, we we have a soul, we have emotion, we have a body. But we can't just eject emotion out of our life and say that that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the uh, common dangerous traps of being a Christian is... um, we equate good emotional feelings with, um, let's say, holiness and justice with the Lord, or right relationship with God, to mm-hmm. where like if I feel certain things that aren't comfortable or whatever, then I must not be doing the whole Christian thing right. And so mm-hmm. I'm just going to suppress all of those things and just say that everything's going well. If I feel anxious or if I feel disappointed or if I feel bitter, I'm just going to be like, oh, got to put that aside because I'm just following the Lord. I'm going to stay focused on Jesus. And then these things build up in us that like are not good. It's very healthy to get our feelings out, not only in prayer, but to people we're, we're um, safe with in relationship. Our spouses are really good friends. I feel very grateful for you today. You, Adam. For me? Yeah. As wow. A, as a friend. That's how you feel. Yeah. So with that, why don't we do a six-pack of questions? Question. Question number one. So we began um, talking about this two-year-old that... Uh, yeah, broke in, man. Broke into the White House, yep. or at least on the lawn. And um, so my question would be to you, have you ever had a child? You've had five uh, small children mm-hmm. in your life. You ever had a child run off like that in a setting, maybe not the White House, but something else that was a little, little uh, nerve-wracking? Let's say. I've, yeah, I've lost two kids briefly at amusement parks. That mm-hmm. was fun. It's a good feeling. This is a parent fail failure five thousand. <laughs> Check. I checked that off the box. Your one job. And it, what it <laughs> seemed like, you know, eight hours was probably like one minute. Mm-hmm. You know, but you you panic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I've 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 pretty much had every parent failure in the book, but I'm glad to check those boxes off and move on. Learn from them. That's what I'm talking about. Question number two. So, speaking of that, um, learning and moving on, because um, we've talked about that a lot. Sometimes you really do need to move on to move on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
to move forward, you got to move on. Yeah. Uh, and you've helped lots of folks discern that difference and that distinction. Yeah. So talk to me about that difference between, look, uh, sometimes the Lord really does want you to uh, go in a different direction. How do you discern that? Well, discerning it, moving on, like, I don't know, uh, you know, th- those are two different things. Like, uh, emotionally moving on, I think there has to be some type of resolution. So if, if, if you're in a relationship in a marriage and you can't move past a certain issue, it's probably cause there has, a, there's no resolution to the issue. Mm-hmm. If you resolve the issue, then you got to move on. You can't keep revisiting something that's resolved. If you resolve it, move on. If you haven't resolved it, go back to it and resolve it, talk through it. But in discernment, some, some, it, it, you know, it's, it's like sometimes moving on, it's clear that God is closing a door and opening another one. And mm-hmm. that's where we have to let go of what we want and recognize what's taking place in our life. Nice. All right, question number three. Uh, we talked about um, being more like the Acts of the Apostles, a church like that, being more on mission, I referenced a couple of uh, really cool saints, well, three really, but St. Catherine of Siena, St. Peter Chanel, who live this bold missionary life despite of what was going on around them in the church and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when do you think you've been at your best as like that bold missionary? And when do you think you've been at your worst? <laughs> well, question three and four. Man, that's a, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I'm at my best when I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. I'm just not concerned about like what people think or how this is going to take place. I'm just not worried. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm just in the sense of like, God's got this. I'm present. And, and that's more of an internal thing. I think I'm at my worst when I'm like anxious and worried about the little things that probably make not much of a difference anyway, but I, I worry and I get anxious about those things. And so I'm at my worst in that as a missionary, because I, I feel like I have a lot to lose and really it's not much. Hmm. We talked about that, the risk, right? Mm-hmm. All right, question number five. <clears throat> so um, we talked about this um, ability to admit imperfections and inadequacies and all these things, and then, but then move in that and through that to the adventure of following God and of letting God heal us and, and all these things. Um, what does that look like for, let's say... Uh, in marriage, it's pretty easy to see. Like when you're living with someone that you're married to, you have to face stuff, certain stuff, right? Right. But let's say you're not married. You know, a lot of I know a lot of either young unmarried folks or older unmarried folks. Um, where do you where do you encounter that outside the home? This sense of of like dealing with uh, your own inadequacies, your own, but like moving through moving forward, doing what God wants you to do. Cause I know a lot of our listeners, they're not married, but like they want to do that too, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, Dr. Bob shoots, who's a, a wonderful, um, Catholic, um, minister and does a lot of inner healing and healing ministry, uh, says that, you know, basically, you know, through all these seasons of, of counseling and as a therapist, says there's a little bit of narcissism in everyone by nature of being human. Right. Um, which is just life's about me. I'm selfish, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we can all relate. 
but it, narcissism can grow when we don't have accountability in that. Like we can become more narcissists in our behavior when we don't have people in our life who speak truth, who challenge us, who help us grow. And so whether you're married or single, it's important to have those checks and balances of people who hold us accountable in a good way to challenge us, to help us in those conversions processes, to help us to be selfless and self-sacrifice and, and to give of ourselves because that's when we're at our best. And so if you, you are single, like to have friendships and listen to people and let them speak truth into you and challenge you and to humble yourself in your behaviors or the things that you do wrong, because it's all not rejection. It's a, it's a point of reference for conversion of getting better of moving forward. Right? So I find that people who really struggle with narcissism are people who have isolated themselves. And the only person they listen to is themselves. Mm. And the only person they have to please is themselves. The only person they're accountable to is himself. It's a dangerous life to live in that way. Wow. All right, question number six. How do you know if you're that person? You probably don't. That's the problem with like full-blown narcissism. Really? Tell yeah. me about that. Well, I mean, you just live a life that's that's so in tunnel vision and about you that you don't even realize it. You're at mm -hmm. the point of, yeah, like, I, I don't say no return, but like you're at the point of not even Something recognizing. Something has to intervene. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, I don't know if there's medicine for it or not, but like trying to intervene to a narcissist is like, I don't know, tying a brick around your ankle and jumping into the water. Like, wow. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they, they would look at you like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, um, I think, I, I guess like, you know, for all of us, I guess it's a, it's a warning to just allow ourselves to be in relationship with people so that we don't become that. Well, that reminds me of a lot of the wisdom of the saints in the spiritual life echo that theme of basically you're either going to love yourself or love God. That's hmm. pretty much it. Right. Those are the options. And to love God means you love others because God, you know, God is love and love moves us to love. It moves us to love God and love neighbor. And so when we don't do that, we just, we just turn internal. We just, you know, we, we, life is all about us. It, it is literally all about self-pleasure, mm. um, self-gratification. We become God, basically. That's what ultimately, if you wanted to define narcissism, is like we become our own God, and that's, that's it. End of story. So we're either on his mission or we're on our own mission. I guess, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I wish I was a psychotherapist and could answer it fully, but <clears throat> I'm not. Well, but as a Christian disciple, I mean, we're either, I mean, like our Lord said, we're either gathering with him or we're scattering. Yeah. But we scatter for trying to please ourselves. Yeah. I mean, and we see this in the culture and it, and it's pretty bad, you know, and the advent of the internet and social media, like, you know, people are making a lot of money being about them, you know, so. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, that's it. That's yeah, that was a very happy note. Thanks for <laughs> that last question. Let's bring that How down. How about the question number seven? You know, <laughs> bring joy to the world today. How do you do that? Well, yeah, I mean, well, ultimately, like, you know, you mentioned Pope Francis is like, he talks a lot about joy. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things that separates us as a Christian in, in a sense of like, do we look different as a Christian or act different than the rest of the world? And, and I think we should. And ultimately, as missionaries, that's our call in a good way, in a very joyful way. So thanks, everyone, for listening to the show, being a part of it. 
Thanks, Deacon Adam and everyone, KLFT Radio and all our podcast listeners. Have a wonderful week and God bless.